Live from the KIJU studios in beautiful Ogasawara, this is the Monster Island Film Vault bonus episode 12. Beware the Blob featuring Travis Alexander. Hello, Kaiju lovers, and welcome to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through Tokusatsu. I am your host, the film curator on Monster Island, Nate Marchand, and today's going to be an interesting one. To say the least, I said before that when I covered The Blob from 1958 with my friend Eric Anderson that it was quite possibly, if you take it literally, the most kaiju of kaiju because strange beast people and The Blob is the strangest one you could get. But I could think of nobody better to talk about the sequel here, (laughs) because that's what we're talking about today, than my co-host in common... (laughs) <laughs> on Henshin Men, and the co-host of Kaiju Weekly, Mr. Travis Alexander. <laughs> Hello, Kaiju lovers. <laughs> uh, no, Jimmy, I'm not suing Travis for copyright infringement. How dare you? Come on. Don't even start with me, because if you do, I've got a lawsuit ready to go for the power trip podcast. Oh, uh, that one's a little bit murky because I'm a co-host on both shows. So how can I steal from mm. myself? It's weird. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, nice but, legal loophole. Yeah, well, I'll make you an appointment with Raymond Martin and we'll see what he has to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> but bonus episode, though this may be, it is still technically part of America, 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 Jew. Yes, this is you know, a bonus episode for America, Jew, because this is for Beware the Blob. One of the weirdest titles I've ever seen because it's beware exclamation point the blob. And it's only one of five titles for this movie. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to talk about that because they had several working titles. There was an alternate title for this that was Son of Blob. Then there's The Return of the Blob. A chip off the old blob. (laughs) Like I said, we'll get into it, but Son of Blob is a lie because... This is technically the original blob. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, so it's like you know, like Son of Dracula. It's not really the Son of Dracula. Of course, that argument could be made for Son of Godzilla. Is it really Godzilla's son? Other than the fact right. that he adopts the little potato. <laughs> yeah, I mean you don't have to be a biological father to but, be a father. Yeah, this is true. This is very true for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I understand that. But I'm having you on, Travis, for this wonderful little bonus episode because I wanted to make sure you finally got to see the goo. <laughs> I got to see the goo. You, yes, the joke is paid off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those who don't but... know, one of several running jokes on Kaiju Weekly, ever since you and Michael covered the original blob, I think, when was when was that? 
<laughs> oh, it's been a while. It's, it's been probably while. been about two years. Yeah, probably now. Yeah, but I don't. And I don't even remember exactly how it got started. I think you were talking about Blobfest and how you were gonna go see the goo, and then that just turned into a yes. running gag. <laughs> so yeah, so the joke started. Well, and it's not really a joke. It, the joke is me constantly saying it, but yeah. but <laughs> but it's the the it started with us talking about Blobfest that they actually have Blobfest in Pennsylvania, Phoenix, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, and it's at the locations where Blob the original Blob was filmed, and they have this museum set up there, and they have the original theater that 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 was part of the filming, the and they. Sh- yeah, at the Colonial, and they show the Blob at Blobfest every year, and people run out of the theater screaming as part of the the joke and everything. But in the museum, they actually have the original Blob prop mm-hmm. from the movie, and it's still liquidy. It's still, it's I know. still, it hasn't dried out after all these years. It has stayed, and I'm like, I must see this. I want to see yes. the goo. Yeah, but today you got to see. The real blob. (laughs) It has been been on loan here from the good people of Pennsylvania for us to display here on the island. And we make sure to keep it in an ice bucket. You understand? We don't want it getting warm. We know what happens when it gets warm. (laughs) Yes. You wouldn't like me when I get warm. (laughs) You wouldn't like. (laughs) Don't make me warm. You won't like me when I'm warm. (laughs) But... Now, after watching the movie that we watched for uh, this episode, I'm, I'm so, not so uh, happy about seeing no, the blob, the no, goo. See, see the goo. Yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it because I will admit, when I made arrangements for you to come here today, I had seen that movie yet. I, and so I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> yes. But, uh, yeah, so uh, give us a, a quick plot breakdown and you know jimmy make sure you cue the epic and or funny music for this all right lay it on us travis because <laughs> almost nobody's seen right. this <laughs> okay so the movie it takes place 15 years after the original blob and a worker who has been off screen prior to the movie starting working on a oil line oil pipeline in an oil oil pipeline in the North Pole has discovered a piece of the frozen corpse, I guess. I don't know if you want to call it corpse. <laughs> a piece the, of the blob. <laughs> a piece of the original blob and has packed it into a container and brought it home and he stored it in his freezer and then his wife got upset because he stored it in the freezer with the, you know, with the frozen pizzas and the in the TV dinners. <laughs> And so she took it out and it defrosted and goes on a rampage and terrorizes the entire town, (laughs) including chickens, kittens, hobos, and of course, the people who suffered the most, the bowlers. (laughs) In a plot, when this movie has a plot that eerily resembles the original. Yeah, in some ways it does. Yeah. In okay. some ways, it, it, it does not at all. Yeah, okay, uh, yeah. Jimmy, you can cut the music now. You can cut the music now. All right, we're good. All right, so I did watch this a couple of times before you came here today to watch it with me. And I, the, my notes when I, uh, when I was watching this, I'm just like, I don't, I, what am I watching? I, I don't understand. This is, 
this is one of the most bipolar movies I have ever seen. <laughs> this movie is borderline incomprehensible. Yeah. It's because it, the bits with the boyfriend and the girlfriend, those yes. seem like they're actually following a script and those characters have plot relevance. They're one of a couple that have plot relevance. The rest of the cast in this, despite the fact that I found out because what I have in the film vault is the Kino Lorber. Kino Lorber loves weird 70s movies, I've concluded. Kino Lorber's Blu-ray release of this that has a commentary that is way too good for this movie. <laughs> and this guy did, yeah, Richard Harlan Smith, who is who did the commentary. And he did research on everybody who makes an appearance in this movie. And he found out so many weird, crazy things about these people. But the thing that I didn't realize because I'm too young to know it. Most of this is that most of these people are very pedigreed and we're working in television or would go on to work in television and would become, or were famous or would become famous. It's crazy, but I didn't know who most of them were. Yeah, well, in watching this, I recognized a few because I like old TV shows mm -hmm. and, and old movies and stuff. And so, so of course, you've got Larry Hagman, which I was very surprised about that the young Larry Hagman was in this because Larry Hagman. And he's the director. Uh, and he's the director of this. So Larry Hagman, if anybody doesn't know, is famous for playing J.R. Ewing on Dallas. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where he became the most famous. He's, he's definitely been in a lot of uh, things over <laughs> yeah, the years, uh, but that uh, is uh, what he's most famous yeah, for. Dallas was a primetime soap opera. That's what they called it in the early 80s. It was very, very popular. And one of the most famous episodes of the show, and actually kind of one of the most famous episodes of television, was they had this big cliffhanger season finale where Jr. gets shot. Yeah, who and that shot was this JR? big question: Who shot Jr.? Well, this movie yeah. got re-released, I think, around the time that Dallas was a thing, and it was marketed under the movie "Shot by Jr." or something like that. <laughs> the movie "Shot by Jr." Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, well, like, and that's such a famous. It's such a famous part of television history that even Simpsons like did yep. their own version of it. Who shot Mr. Burns? Yeah. And they was, did. I remember that. <laughs> that was a parody of who, who shot, shot JR. JR. So, yeah. so yeah, so you've got him, you've yeah. got him, you've got Shirley from Laverne and Shirley mm -hmm. is in this. What's her name? Cindy Williams, mm -hmm. who's also in American graffiti. One of George yes. Lucas's first films, mm -hmm. Robert uh, Walker, he, who Robert you may not Walker. know the name. He has a famous father. He has a very famous father. His father was, oh, it was his father was Robert Walker. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and so, because he's Robert Walker Jr. And you may not know the name, but if you watch a lot of classic TV, he shows up in a lot. And I told you, it's like, he actually appeared in something very near and dear to us, Travis, and to Jimmy as well. Yes. He was Charlie X. Whoa. <laughs> From yeah. Star Trek, the original series. From from Star Trek, and we cannot list the cast of this movie without mentioning the great Burgess Meredith. <laughs> Burgess Meredith. I was not prepared for that. I did not know he was in this. He's uncredited. It's really just a cameo. Because, and what's hilarious about this, this is 
pre-Rocky Burgess Meredith. He's most famous for playing Mickey, Rocky's trainer in the Rocky films. And now he's a bum, Rock. He's a bum. (laughs) Yeah. He's a blob. He's a blob, Rocky. (laughs) He's a blob, Rock. It's a blob. (laughs) It's so weird. Like the the whole movie, that should just tell you that this whole thing is just crazy. It's weird. You look up the cast list on this. Like if you go to the Wikipedia page, most of these characters don't even have names. No, no. It's like hobo with a beard, hobo (laughs) with an eye patch, hobo with a shotgun. Oh, wait, what? What is uh, okay? Wait, no. (laughs) Teenager in gorilla suit. Boy Scout, bowling alley manager, hairstylist, specifically stylist. He is not a barber. He is a hairstylist. He's a hair sculptor. So they got it wrong. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Oh, God. (laughs) We'll talk about that. uh, Now, speaking of the Boy Scouts, did you recognize the Scoutmaster? Dick Van Patten. uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah, He's been in a lot of things, too. Yes, he's been in a lot of things, and he's a, a stage actor, TV actor, been in some movies. But the thing that I recognize him the most from is he was in both Spaceballs and Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. He he appeared in a few of the Mel Brooks movies. He oh, was, that's uh, great. That's great. Yeah, and I, he's I, a very comedic actor. Yeah, and I found out that the, I thought he was Russian. It turned out I was wrong. Turkish. He is a Turk, and he his name in the credits is simply Naked Turk. There was a naked Turkish man <laughs> running through the streets in this movie. I I messaged you when I was watching. I was like, and we have a naked Russian running around in this movie. And I'm like, I would have loved to. Have, what was your reaction to that when I sent you that before you got here? It was to rub my temples because the my head was starting to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy was played by a guy named Ty- is it Tiger Joe Marshall? I think is it Tiger Joe Marsh? Excuse me, and he was a professional wrestler. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what's funny is you might actually recognize him from another movie, and it's kind of ironic so, because. Uh, he's a pro- uh, He's actually Croatian, by the way. He's not Turkish, despite the fact. Right. And what's funny is back in the day, he was confused for Tor Johnson and George right. the Animal Steel. Uh-huh. You know, George the Animal Steel was a professional wrestler. Tor Johnson was in Plan Night from Outer Space. Right from Outer Space, yes. And then what's but what's hilarious is George the Animal Steel played Tor Johnson in the Ed Wood movie. <laughs> and there were rumors that circulated for a while that mr tiger joe was the model for mr clean (laughs) which would make sense (laughs) which would make sense it would (laughs) so yes the cast which is it's so funny that of the two Movies, The Blob and Son of the Blob, or Beware. Beware! The Blob! blob. (laughs) Of the two movies, the movie with the cast with the most pedigree is the sequel. It's the sequel. Because... Uh the first one, a lot of those, there was a few of them who who had had a good pedigree. Steve McQueen. 
Steve McQueen had not done anything. This was no, but he went on to be famous. Yeah, he went on to be famous. But prior to that movie, most of those actors in that movie were not stars. They were not big people. They were not named people. In fact, the most famous person, I think, at the time of filming the first one was the farmer who was killed (laughs) at the beginning of the movie. The the unfortunate old man. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I think if I remember right, he at the time of filming was the most famous Mm -hmm. person in that movie. Well, then later on, everybody else went on to be more famous, but this movie going into the making of this movie, these people already have a lot of this stuff under their belt. Yeah. And it's like, how, how did you get people who have like jobs that pay money to also do this film when this film is so horrible? (laughs) (laughs) Not burying the lead. I love it. (laughs) This, cause this is so incredibly weird. The genesis of this movie is weird. Cause apparently there were several attempts. This has the same producer as the original Jack Harris. And there had been attempts to make a sequel to The Blob for a while. We mentioned some of the working titles. And it took a while. And there's a couple of different stories for how this dang thing got made. One story says that Harris, the producer, showed Larry Hagman a 16-millimeter print of the original Blob, which Hagman hadn't seen, and that convinced him to work on the sequel. That's what Harris says. Hagman says that he met Harris... In a hot tub. and Like you do. Yeah. And Harris told him that Harris's son had written a sequel to The Blob and wanted Hagman to direct it. And Hagman said he'd be involved if he directed because Hagman was also an actor, as you pointed out. Right. So that's their story. <laughs> so it, it, it's crazy. And then the, the, a lot of the people who were in it were friends and neighbors of Harris and Hagman. Because they lived on the quote-unquote Malibu colony, so that's where they found a lot of the talent. Yeah, so yeah. Just, they all just oh. knew each other, and they said, "Hey, you want to be in this sequel to the Blob?" Oh, oh I'll be in that sequel. We yeah. have to mention, I mean, the most standout character in this film, which is knockoff John Lennon. <laughs> you know, I found out something interesting about that fella. I can't imagine him having an interesting life. (laughs) Um, I would know this. I don't know if you would know this, but he went on to be a country. He went not country. He went on to be a contemporary Christian music star. Whoa. Yeah. Larry (laughs) Norman, who was described as, quote, the Bob Dylan of Christian music. I mean, you know, of course he's playing a character in this movie, but my goodness, this character. Uh, was he pretending not to sing? Because he could not sing. Actually, he was singing, from what I've been told. Because, no, he wasn't singing. I think you're you're wrong. He was not singing in this movie. They, they, were, they filmed the sound of the cat being eaten by the blob and played that back for when he was singing. Because that's what it sounded like. Do we want to talk about that? The first victim of oh, the blob? Oh, oh. Well, no. The second victim. The first victim of the blob was an unfortunate fly. It was a fly. Which, uh, actually, that... I have to say that scene actually did look pretty cool. It did. It did. Yeah, but that's um, what I mean by the this movie. Uh, the other thing we should mention is that there was a script 
yeah, kind of have to set the stage here a little bit. There was a script written for this, but most of these actors were from Second City, which is an improv group in Chicago, or had some sort of pedigree with improvisational comedy. So they improvised a lot of the movie. I don't know how no. much. I get differing bits of information and a little bit of... Because there's not a lot of information available about this you're movie. T- you're telling me that the dialogue in the hairstylist's <laughs> barbershop was not written down somewhere? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just know that large portions of this movie, they either disregarded the script and improv <laughs> or... The script didn't fill out every scene, so people just improv, which explains the weirdo dialogue and the kind of bipolar tone because I can't tell if this movie wants to be a real horror movie or if it wants to be a comedy. Now, the thing is, from the research I did on the original Blob, I went into this expecting it to be a comedy. The trailer makes it look like a real horror movie. I watched the movie and it seems to change every scene. Sometimes it's a comedy. It, it does. A screwball comedy, even. Next scene, it's trying to be scary. Yes. <laughs> now, here's my thing. Now, anybody who knows me and listens to Kaiju Weekly will know that I have a love for weird movies. So, so you know, and, and terrible movies, too. I mean, I love Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. I love Yeti, Giant of the 20th Century. Like, th- those movies, they're not good. And obviously not good, but they're funny and they're entertaining in a way. Now, with Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, that movie is obviously a comedy. That oh, movie excuse is me. The, uh, the, hippie guy, meant- the hippie guy was Randy Stonehill. He was also a, he was a guitar player. He was also a Christian music star. The other guy was the blonde teen. He's also a Christian music star. So there's two of them. <laughs> I really expected to see Ray Stevens in this. Like, it yeah, would yeah. not have. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it makes some sort of weird sense because the original Blob was made by a studio that made religious films. <laughs> yes, yes, it did. Yes, it did. I, I do and apparently, Harris's son was a Christian as well. So, I want to come back to that at some point when we're talking about themes of this movie. Uh, um, but no, I, so with a movie like. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Like, it is meant to be a comedy. Now, comedy is subjective. Some people don't like it. Some people do like it. I I lean on the side of I do like it because I think that it takes the tropes of, you know, horror movie, B-horror movies like The Blob and makes fun of them in a fun way. And so that's why I kind of enjoy it. Then you have movies like Yeti, Giant of the 20th Century or Night of the Lepus, which are unintentional (laughs) comedies. We have bonded They're unintentional over that movie. comedies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because this one, they, they, are, uh, they were meant to be taken deadly serious and they are hilarious because of how stern it is and like how seriously it, it everybody is taking it yeah. when it is. And Night of the Leap was rabbits. around the same time as this. <laughs> yes. Yes. The problem with this movie is it's neither of those things. It's neither (laughs) fully committed to being a comedy and it's not fully committed to taking itself seriously. It is in this gray area of, like you said, kind of being a bipolar 
type movie because it is fluctuating between the two. And because of that, I don't enjoy it as much as I enjoy dumb, terrible monster movies. I did not enjoy this one because I couldn't fully embrace it as a comedy because it just wasn't funny. And I couldn't fully embrace it as an unintentional comedy because it felt like they were really trying to and not taking themselves seriously and trying to make a comedy at times. And it just like, just, Oh, I didn't enjoy it. Now you you did say you wanted to talk about the first victim, well, the second, the second victim. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about the. Oh my gosh, because admittedly, I think that first scene kind of illustrates this. Well, first off, actually, we should talk about the actual first things first. This has one of the weirdest opening credit sequences I have ever seen. <laughs> okay when, I, 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 pop, like when I popped this movie in and started it I'm like what did I <laughs> actually the, the sequel play, play to Milo the blob the sequel to the blob starts off with weirdo synthesizer music and I found some stuff out about the composer that sounds like it belongs in an 80s video game and the credits are overlaid on a kitten in grass yeah, like when you're when you first start watching this movie, you're like confused on whether you're watching the blob or are you watching Milo and Otis? Because oh, Milo like, and Otis. Oh man. Weird synth music over a kitten. Not just a cat, a kitten. A, a kitten. tiny little bitty kitten playing and frolicking in the grass. <laughs> now, it gets connected to the plot because then we get to the actual first scene and then we get to the... It probably best illustrates in one scene the bipolar nature of this movie. So at least it's leading with being bipolar. So we have the geologist and his wife. All that dialogue's probably improvised. And oh, yeah. So he's been gone for a long time. He's been up in the cold. He found something and it's a piece of the blob. We find out that's the most connection we get to the original movie. And I'm just thinking, why didn't anyone tell them don't go here because blob? Right. No well, one even also, talks they're... about, you know, I was like, hey, remember back in the 50s when there was that poor town that got a, attacked by the blob? You know, no one talks about it. But it's yeah, supposed no, to be the blob. But to be fair, there is another connection in this movie to the first movie. The very, very direct connection that we can talk about in a minute. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that, which just makes this movie even weirder even more confusing yeah more confusing <laughs> yeah just everything but so they're they're being all lovey-dovey and flirty and you know and we also find out that this guy goes camping in a tent in his living room i i, I don't understand i, I like, just looked at was like was I, what? About... I was like what what are we what what I, huh? He's talking about going fishing, so like and getting stuff ready to go fishing. But he's yeah. doing mostly just drinking beer and yeah, climbing even, a tent in his house. He even takes the flowers out of one of his wife's vases and then fills it with beer. It's just, just I, this this whole this whole movie. This movie. Anyway, let's get to yeah, let's get to yeah. The so anyway, so. He, they take the, you brought it up in the plot synopsis. He takes the container out of the freezer. The lid pops. Now I like the, what they do here with the blob. So the lid pops and you can see the blood red blob. I mean, the color in this is great. Oh yeah. The, the color for the blob in this is great. 
And it's a di- they did the effects differently in this. They used silicone for the original blob. And this one was done by mixing a powder in water and then putting in coloring. And it, well, no, they didn't put the color in, but they would mix this powder and it would make a, a blobby substance when it was mixed with water. So they did it differently. Yeah. Now, I, I okay, since you mentioned the color, I will say the color in this is a lot brighter than the first uh-huh. blob. And I don't particularly like it. I mm. think that I, I, I'm more partial to the darker, more yes. blood red yeah. of the of the first one yeah. instead of the more cherry yeah. red that this. Yeah, one is. this was very cherry, <laughs> very cherry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure that is the name of a girl group, but, uh, Jimmy. So very cherry but so the lid pops and so and then it starts that that very suspenseful uh, i think it's synthesizer music again so it's like there's like a little suspense theme for the blob to create some tension and it actually works it does work it does create tension and then you see a fly go over land on the blob and then they zoom in on that you get a big old close-up of the fly and the fly just gets sucked right in Mm-hmm. The I'm like, okay, that was effective. That was effective. Yes. But then the first big suspense scene doesn't involve our human characters. The kitten from the opening credits is their pet, and it starts going after the kitten. And I'm like, you monster. Uh, that is where this movie really pissed me off. <laughs> Understandably so, because you're a cat person. <laughs> I'm a cat person. Well, I'm an animal person in yes. general because I love all animals, but it's a tiny kitten. And like you didn't even hint that it was eaten or, you know, like show the blob going after it and it escapes so that it goes after the people instead. No, they show the blob grabbing a hold to the kitten and eating it and it's just like no yeah it's just oh my gosh i don't remember what the kitten's name is but whatever the kitten's name is we need to start a just like on henshin then we we had justice for dummy we need justice for the kitten <laughs> uh i think it was like lyle or something yeah. i can't remember okay so now, justice but... for lyle <laughs> <laughs> you, oh. the, they say that if you want to prove that your villain is truly evil have him kill the dog this thing ate a kitten ate a kitten it ate a kitten it went through a fly and a kitten before we got to our first human victim and i'll give the movie credit i'll give the movie credit it did not go with the the black guy dies first trope it's the black gal dies first right yeah <laughs> the yeah. wife gets caught no, i was I was just going to say, and people might get this joke or not, but the blob did something that Batman apparently cannot do. It ate the kitten. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) I don't don't know if you get that or not. (laughs) uh, Not entirely. I'm like, wait, what? Tell me after the show. Okay, okay, because I was going to explain it now, but it's like, eh, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, tell me after the show. Uh, <laughs> no, Jimmy, that's a lie. You don't get it either. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, and and then it basically turns into the, the original movie. I, this movie, when it's being serious, when it's not the madcap characters that were all probably improvised, because there's a lot of them, it feels like it has a serious case of sequelitis. 
Because it's just oh, yeah. the original movie. They just switch some things around. In this case, it's the girlfriend who sees the Bob killing someone and nobody believes initially instead of the boyfriend. Because you have the disbelieving sheriff and you know the young couple who's trying to warn everybody. You know, it's just, it's all the same stuff. Here's the thing, though, and I don't know if you have a section that's dedicated to just talking about the themes of this movie because because I it. really want to. Okay, I really want to talk about the themes of this movie. The first Blob movie was so good because it embraced the idea that teenagers should be listened to the mm-hmm. teenagers are not mm-hmm. the you know are not these crazy wild people and yes teenagers might get into trouble or stir some trouble up but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that they're not you know worth mm-hmm. listening to and it mm-hmm. kind of had that statement and it, and it was yes. throughout the yes. whole thing yeah my friend eric this- my friend eric and i talked about that when we talked about the original mm-hmm. yes and 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 i can imagine that even if you are not someone who is because because uh, uh, it definitely has some so like you were talking about, like some Christian overtones, quote unquote, Christian in the original. Yes. In the original yeah. one. Yes. So even if you're not someone who ascribes to that stuff, I can imagine still that if, being a teenager and feeling like you're alienated from people that the blob just kind of does kind of hit you in a nice sweet spot there. This movie has none of those themes. No. Like it tries. It tries, but it also really, really plays into the stereotypes of teenagers who are smoking dope, who are getting into trouble, who are causing problems, <laughs> and the and give you and it's like, okay, I want to be on the side of the teenagers because they're the ones who are being attacked by this blob first, and they're yeah. the ones who and then and no one's really listening to them. But at the same time, you didn't do anything that made people want to listen to except, you because you're constantly causing trouble. Except for our young couple protagonists. They're the good kids. Except for them. Yeah, they're except the good them. kids. The rest of them are doing wild and crazy birthday parties. I'm, I, I'm like, okay, my parents grew up in the 70s. I'm like, were birthday parties like this? This is the wildest birthday party I've ever seen. <laughs> and, and to be fair, no matter what they were doing, it doesn't excuse the fact that people weren't listening to them. But then you didn't really have that because like no one else sides with the main characters until the blob starts really attacking people. And it's like in the first movie, there were points where Steve McQueen would be like, you know, no one believes me. And then people would be like, well, I believe you. I, yeah. know, I didn't see it with my own eyes, but I still believe you. Yeah. And it's like, they didn't have that. No one believes these characters. And it's just like, what is the theme of this movie? I don't, uh, I just. I'm at a loss because this is, it's so just weirdly disjointed. And like I said, bipolar, because we have the actually serious plot line with the young couple trying to warn everybody. It's just the original movie again. But then we have all of these madcap characters who are populating this town who are just show up for one scene to just be fodder for the blob. Yes. The weirdest one, honestly, is probably the quote unquote hair sculptor. Who was going to charge $400 to give a hippie a haircut. To give a hippie a haircut, $400 (laughs) in the 70s. Yeah. Because he says, he's like, because the he, the kid walks in. He's like, are you a barber? 
I'm like, you're walking into a barber shop. What do you think he is? And then <laughs> and he's like, I am not a barber. He's like, are you a hairstylist? I am not a stylist. I am an artist. <laughs> Hair is my marble. It is what I sculpt. And I'm just like, Okay, I get yes. the shtick. I get the shtick here. This is the most pretentious Barbie you have ever seen who thinks he's an like some highfalutin sculptor from the Renaissance. I get it. But it's coming across so incredibly weird. And then it punctuates with him saying that he's going to charge this kid $400 for a haircut. And he says, okay. <laughs> and he's got yeah. like long, crazy hippie hair. <laughs> It's just such a weird scene, and it goes on for way too long. Because they're like, oh, he rinses the hair, and then he washes the hair, and you yeah. see him scrubbing yeah. the hair, and the guy's like, oh, this feels good, and it's just yeah, like, yeah. Oh, now, I don't know what's it, this, so that go, Yeah, that all goes on, and then at some point, after this has gone on for several minutes, I might add, several minutes, he turns on the faucet and the blob starts pouring out of the faucet, but not, neither of them see it. So then it starts creating some tension because yeah. then you're like, oh my gosh, is he going to put the guy's head in, you know, in the sink again, which predictably he does. And then the blob yes, he does. grabs the guys, grabs the kid's face and jumps on the other guy's arm, cut to the next scene. We never see those two characters ever again. Nope. Yeah. No, it, it is, it's such a, I, I, in the first movie, as much as I love the first movie, I wasn't rooting for the blob to win. <laughs> I was rooting for the for the humans to win. In this one, I'm kind of rooting for the blob. <laughs> You're rooting for the blob. I don't even I, after I, eating the kitten. <laughs> I'm rooting for the blob. Oh, I'll, I mean that's true, but but just <laughs> but that just shows how much I hate these characters. These characters <laughs> in this movie are so they're they're on a level of they're almost on a animal house level of absurd <laughs> yeah, comedy but not good <laughs> but not See, good those not, characters those characters in a, are in a completely different movie <laughs> so there is one guy we mentioned when we were talking about characters there's one guy whose entire personality is he wears a gorilla suit <laughs> He's one of the friends, one of the 30 year old teenagers, because it's like apparently they're like, hey, we need to keep with the blob tradition. Let's hire a bunch of 30 year olds to pretend to be teenagers, including a young Steven Spielberg. Yes. Because <laughs> like, I wrote in my notes, I'm like, huh? Young Steven Spielberg. <laughs> he looks like him. Yeah. But just a quick thing about the about the barber. He was played by Shelley Berman who was the first comedian to sell 1 million records. Oh, wow. And it was a record called Inside Shelley Berman. And he's the only actor who has appeared in both this and the original movie. Sort of. So maybe he was in that scene that they played earlier in the in the movie? No. When, when no, they watch, he was... Well, okay. Well, yeah. The, the, the first victims were watching the original movie on TV. Like, the, the guy, the husband, the geologist. I'm like, what? Is that, just, is that supposed to be the actual original movie? So the original movie exists in-universe in this movie? So is it like a movie based on the true story within the universe? Or is that just supposed to be the original movie, but it's not supposed to be the original movie? So it's something it's else. So, I'm so, I, I have so, so many weird. questions. It's <laughs> to quote it Val is, to quote Val Kilmer's Bruce Wayne. It just raises too many questions. I just <laughs> it is weirder than 
the thing, the original thing from outer space playing in the background of Halloween. It is weirder than Night of the Lepus playing in the background of The Matrix. That is a true story. Go look it up, people. (laughs) Yeah, but no, uh, Shelley Berman was in the movie that is playing in the theater in the original movie, Daughter of Horror or Dementia. Oh, okay. He was okay. in that, which means, yeah, he's sort of in both movies. I can see the theme of this movie being like the incompetence of authority figures. <laughs> which, I don't that know was if they the original intended too. it to be that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they intended to make the authority figures feel as incompetent as they are but they are extremely incompetent like half the town has gone missing and all of the deputies are in the office just standing around like i don't know what's happening maybe maybe they're all at the bowling alley let's go to the bowling alley Uh, well yeah and then they I love how no, they don't want to go. To, that's the thing. Yeah, they don't the, want to the, go. Well, what I love, I was just like, to go what to is the bowling this? alley? They I, won't go to check. <laughs> I, I just want to know how little money does this police department in this little town have that they, as the commentator put this, they use yoga mats as riot gear. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> like go get the uh, go get the riot gear, and then the next time we see him, it was like, did you steal those from a little league umpire? What the fuck? <laughs> what? <laughs> it looks like an apron. Why you're you have a bulletproof apron? <laughs> now. I also have to say, this was in the 70s. I know that toy manufacturing has come a long way, but people had more things to play with than just those two balls on the string that everyone in the movie seemed <laughs> All the to Boy be obsessed with. It wasn't just them. One of the hobos in the in there was playing. The, Larry Hagman. Larry Hagman was playing with it also. And it's like, is this the only toy, the only source of entertainment this town has? Because everyone is playing with the same toy. Well, the one kid's playing with a lighter. <laughs> oh that's true that's true now that was fun that was fun because at the end of the movie while the sheriff is giving his big speech yeah, getting interviewed on tv defeat. while he stands there with his foot on one of the mounds you know posing so heroically like, yeah posing heroically over the corpse of the blob and the, the kid frozen is just like, corpse can i have my lighter can i have my lighter and he just ignores him the whole time stony face never says anything i'm like why aren't the reporters telling this kid to leave just like kenny just just go Go, get out of here kenny i think that kid just wanted his lighter back (laughs) and they were just like dude we're filming here (laughs) oh my gosh this movie. This, this movie is just, just so ridiculous. Yeah, the, the naked Turk. He the the only connection is that the blob falls into his he's ta- he's he's in the tub with his dog and the blob starts invading his bathroom and he just panics and just starts run just goes streaking. 
Yeah, just <laughs> and then the cop. The, the cop has a little bit. Admittedly, the cop finding him is kind is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, because he, he just kind of pulls. He's just laughing at him. Like you know what? I have heard enough stories from police officers to know that sometimes ridiculous things like this happen in real life. Oh. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I was a I was a paper carrier. I was a paper boy for ten years, and out in the middle of nowhere, country roads, where I had to drive my car down country roads in the early early morning hours, and there's just a naked woman sitting in the middle of the road one day. <laughs> well, so here, this guy just pulls over, and he's just like he's just snickering, and he's just like, <laughs> I don't suppose you have any ID on you? <laughs> yeah. It was good. And then them trying to make him wear clothes in the sheriff's office. And, and none of them refusing fit. To, none of them fit. Like, okay, that was good. That was funny. But we do have to talk about the real victim in this movie. Oh. The real victim throughout this whole movie was right? that poor, poor, innocent business owner running <laughs> the bowling alley. I'm just a concerned citizen i want to <laughs> he's the owner of the bowling alley at first we just think he's a one-off character because the girlfriend finds the black guy at the beginning engulfed in the blob she panics jumps in her car panics and just starts speeding all over the place cuts this guy Runs. off his carton yeah, of beer off. falls off and he gets mad road rages and i thought that was going to be it nope he keeps coming back because he's like you sheriff these kids are causing me trouble. I need you to arrest them. And, and the sheriff's like, dude, no. Just just go. Just which, go. Which Leave I me felt alone. So much, <laughs> I felt so much kinship with the sheriff in that moment who was just done with everything. Like, I am not getting paid enough to deal with this crap. And so I was just like, yes, I understand you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, okay, maybe that's going to be it. Nope. Then the guy goes after him, her and the boyfriend because he's like, "You owe me money. You owe me. You ran me off the road and everything." And then they, you know, they're I don't know if they meant to do it or not, but then they they intentionally, I think, crush more of his beer because they they knock well, it no, over. What, keep going. What happened is they're trying to get back to their home because they're like, okay, well, maybe we just saw things. Maybe it's, you know, we're, we're just going to go home and rest and see if, you know, maybe we're just tired or whatever. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to get back to their home, but the road, they're going down the side road and, or the alley to get to, to cut through, to go to their house. And the alley is blocked by this guy who's unloading the beer that he had earlier. And it's like, you're running across the you're crossing paths with this guy again and he, they're like well can you please just move the stuff out of the way so we can get by and yeah just it's get home? one of no, those scenes where the dramatic story crashes into the comedic side yeah, yeah. and they're like no yeah he's like no i'm not going to i'm going to i call a citizen's arrest citizen's arrest <laughs> i'm not going arrest. to move any I'm i need to talk to, to my friend any- raymond about how citizen's arrest work <laughs> just and so they're like well okay if you won't move it then fine and so they drive over it and and they do say they say they'll go you know that tomorrow once we've rested we'll go back and we'll you know work things out with them so it's like they're not being bad people because like they just asked nicely for him to move and he didn't so it's like 
you know, they, and they even tried to back up and he got in their way. Yeah. So it's like they had no choice. Yeah. So then that happens and you're like, okay, then the story's over with, with this guy. That was, that was the, that was the end. No, he is the owner of the bowling alley ends up being one of the main characters at the end of this movie. Yes. Because instead of the diner, again, sequelitis, but they changed the setting at the very least. Instead of the diner, it's a bowling alley. <laughs> and they try to yeah. do the thing where, you know, instead of using, you know, setting off the tornado alarms and, you know, using and uh, honking car horns and everything, they're trying to go to the bowling alley and get on the PA and tell everybody, run away, monster. And nobody believes them. They kind of get kicked out. And then it turns out, oh, this guy is the owner of the bowling alley. And then the climax happened. And it's the three of them trying to escape from the bowling alley as the now gigantic blob floods the bowling alley. Yeah. The last 30 minutes of this movie is really the best of this whole movie. And it's because it really just is recreating scenes from the original blob, which is a really good movie. So it's like the last 30 minutes of this movie is actually the only part that I really enjoyed, except for the one wheelchair bound guy who was oh. when in the panic uh, when when the blob starts attacking the person who's that was pushing Ted, uh, him. That was Ted Flicker, who was a producer that worked with a lot of these people. Just, they, they ran him down, they flung him down the stairs out of his wheelchair, and then later on, he's stuck on the ground because he can't, you know, he's, he can't walk with a cross in his hand holding a cross up as the blob <laughs> comes and consumes him. That's probably the most mean-spirited part of the movie. <laughs> but I don't ridiculous. care about no cross. <laughs> And and the cops were being so inept. They you know like they go into the building to see where the blob is, and they're they're almost shooting each other. Yes, <laughs> startling each other. Yeah. Now I do like the scene after this. She says the best part where the boyfriend is climbing across the rope. Yes. Over the blob. Yeah. And yes. so I'm like, okay, that was pretty cool. And I found out that that actor actually did that himself. He insisted. Yes. Yes, they had a stunt double, but he insisted on doing the stunt himself. He insisted on doing it, so more power to him. And then we get a lot of the same beats from the original movie, but now it's in a bowling alley, and it's the characters that are trapped there, and the cops and everybody are thinking about blowing up the bowling alley because they think that will destroy the blob, but actually it won't because... But then, like I said, we get a lot of similar beats because earlier in the movie... We had the scene where the young couple discover that the blob's weakness is cold, but instead of it being them hiding in a grocery store meat locker, they're in a car having a nice romantic moment, and then the blob tries to flood the car, which is actually a pretty effective scene as well. And then yes. they turn on the air conditioning, and the blob's like, nope. <laughs> yep, too cold. Too, too cold. cold. Which, Okay. How cold does it have to be? At what temperature does the blob say, not going to happen? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Because that's what I was wondering, too. Because I'm like, okay, the, like how cold realistically is that air conditioner getting? I mean, like, come on. Yeah, you're maybe an idling 60 vehicle. degrees if you're lucky. 60 degrees. Like, it's probably 60-something degrees outside the car anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, how cold does it have to be? I, but anyway, so that's how they kind of put two and two together. 
And then, well, they also put two and two together when they when they dump. <laughs> they uh, accidentally uh, spill uh, the, uh, the you know the freezer on the in the fridge <laughs> yeah. in that room, and it, the blob goes away. And they're like, oh, it's cold. So what yeah. he was he was trying to get to, I think it was the actual air conditioning system. They were basically going to leak it out all over the blob to freeze it. No, 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 no. What they're going to so. The bowling alley is a bowling alley and an ice rink. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's an ice rink. I forgot about that. So it's the system that keeps the ice rink cold. Yes, it's a system that keeps the ice rink cold that freezes the water to make the ice in the ice rink. Now, (laughs) that's on the blob. That's on the blob. It invaded an ice rink. (laughs) Yes, but but, I mean, the blob's not really intelligent. It's just kind of, you know, just consuming. But... (laughs) What gets me is I don't think this is how ice rinks work because it instantaneously freezes. Like it doesn't, it doesn't slowly freeze. It, it it's like how long does it take to freeze the water in the in an ice rink? And it's like oh, it's instantaneous. And it's like really is is that somebody explain to me? I'm I'm from the south. We don't have ice rinks here. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how the ice an ice rink works but i don't think it's instantaneous <laughs> I, 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 I you know what jimmy research that for your blog there you go yes jimmy i insist do your job anyway again so we've got a good setup and a nice suspenseful sequence it, it, they do that instead of the fire extinguisher it's admittedly probably a little bit more interesting in terms of giving the protagonist something to do compared to the original, where in the original, they just kind of save their own hides just enough to call up the cops and say, hey, we were using the fire extinguisher, use cold. Right. So I'll give credit where credit is due. And then they instantly freeze the thing. And admittedly, the visual of the giant frozen mountain in the bowling alley that was once the blob is an interesting visual at the end of the movie. Yeah. Now, now I will say as much as I disliked this movie, as much as I did dislike this movie, the one really good thing that they did in this movie was all of the effects, like all of Uh the special effects in it, because every time the blob is on screen, and the way that it moves and the way it behaves and stuff is really good. And the way it attacks people. And it's a lot of the same tricks they use from the first movie. It's a lot of some of its new tricks, but just like taking, you know, bits of the of the goo onto people and let it run off their arms and then just reversing that in camera mm-hmm. so that it looks like it's crawling up their arm instead of down their arm. Mm-hmm. And that kind of stuff that it's I think they did a great job, like in the special effects side of yeah. things. Yeah. And what's astonishing so, is that it was made for only a little bit more money than the original i can't believe it cost more inflation than the first one probably inflation. well yeah that's true 15 that's years true. of inflation like, but this cost one hundred and fifty. nothing else in this movie is worth the money yeah it costs one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to make estimated i mean so yeah the the special effects are really good with the blob i think they did a really good job the camera work though oh my gosh yeah. oh, cinematography God. here is not impressive you know what the cinematography is? It's like when people are talking, let's get as close as we can to their face and really <laughs> focus in on their face as they're talking, whether it's a dramatic moment or not, just they're the person talking. So let's zoom in as close as we can to them. 
that is what the cinematography was in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and the and it the shots linger for a really really long time too. They do. They do. There's not a lot um, of cuts, you, which is I mean, technically they one of the limitations the original blob had was that their budget was so low and they had so little film to use that they weren't able to do a lot of reshots or retakes. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times the cinematography is not as interesting as it could have been. They didn't do a lot of close-ups because they had so little film to work with. But I would argue that despite that, the cinematography is still better in the original than it is here. Oh, yeah. The cinematography sure. in this is either just weird or really static. There are points where this almost feels like a TV movie. I'm going to be honest with you. It really does. It really does. Like, if you had told me that this was some made-for-TV cash-grab sequel made in the early 70s, I probably would have believed you. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Totally see that. Yeah. Now, are are we going to talk about the best scene of this movie? What's that? I thought it was the the bowling alley. but The final scene of this movie, (laughs) which is... While the sheriff who did literally nothing to actually help and save people, I think that's stands the joke. there triumphantly talking about how I've been in touch with the president so that we can <laughs> let the American people know what has happened here. This thing would have this blob would have eaten the entire country, if not the world. I'm like, did nobody outside of the town in the original movie talk to anybody? Yeah, really. And Did the government come in that, and cover everything up and buy a bunch of people off and say, never speak of this again? <laughs> <laughs> while he's doing that, and, you know, of course, the kid is begging for his light, his lighter back. The camera lights they're using to to light the him put light on him while they're filming for television for for the news melts a piece of the ice, the frozen <laughs> blob and it slowly works its way down and grabs a hold to the sheriff and that is where it ends yes it just he just looks down and he's like oh no and then it freeze frames and then it does the the end question mark again and i'm just like oh no no movie i don't think you earned that no it's no the you definitely ending. didn't it was it was so great though it was so great i'm like okay that that i'm okay with because that is subverting this kind of like yeah the like you said like the point of that scene is you know the sheriff who did nothing and was completely incompetent is now you know being you know being praised as the hero on live television and while he's doing that the blob is slowly going to grab him but nobody sees it Nobody sees it. Nobody sees it. There's like it. five nobody people around there it. and nobody sees it. I just would have liked for the kid to get his lighter and just like, you know, start melting pieces of the blob <laughs> with his lighter and let that be the way that the kid that the oh, blob that would comes have been back. Great. That would have been great. Oh it's such a uh, weird ending. It's a weird movie. It's a weird movie and it's a weird ending. I, I guess it couldn't have ended any other way, really. Oh, <laughs> uh, just such I, a... I mean, it, the image of the blob pouring out of the you know, aisles for the bowlers was, yeah, a, the was, a, was, a nice, was a nice image. But it's just, 
the whole movie. Yeah, and it's just it was, so incredibly It was strange. a call to the the blob, you know, forcing its way out of the theater, you know, the colonial theater. Yeah. It was kind of that callback to that. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there were some callbacks to the, to the original movie visually. And like I said, the special effects with the blob were really good. I think they did a decent job with that. But everything else in this movie is just utter nonsense. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to. Well, I've got some a few quick fun facts I'll share with you. The, uh, Marlene Clark, who was the first human victim, she was once married to Billy D. Williams. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, they were married. She was married to Billy D. Williams at the time, and that, since the working title for this movie was "Son of Blob," Larry Hagman, when he was talking to trade magazines to promote it, he called it "Sob." Ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you, yeah, you can't go wrong there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and uh, Gwen Gilford, the girlfriend, she's a marriage and family counselor now. Oh wow! I wonder if she had to work. She worked through the trauma of working on this movie. I don't know. Actually, the commentator said he talked to a bunch of people who were still alive, who were in this movie or worked on it, and he said almost none of them remembered anything about it. <laughs> I everyone I really, forgot about making it. I think most people were at, I mean I think most of the characters who were supposed to be smoking dope in the movie were actually smoking dope on the set because <laughs> it really seemed like that. Yeah. Uh, well, here's a funny thing. Larry Hagman, you know he said he makes a cameo as one of the bums. Did you notice he never spoke? He didn't speak. Yes, he didn't I noticed speak. that. Apparently, Mr. Hagman had this weird quirk where he would never speak on Sundays. He would wear a pad of paper around his neck and he would write on it. The story is, because he one of the things that he worked on before this was the classic sitcom I Dream of Genie. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he strained his voice while making that, so he had to rest his voice for a day, so he just kept the habit. So mm-hmm. the commentator thinks that they filmed that scene that he was in on Sunday, so he just never talked. That's interesting mm-hmm. how do you direct the this thing like do you write know. cut on your piece of paper <laughs> and hold it up <laughs> he taps a guy on the shoulder and he does it for him the assistant director <laughs> just just uh, yeah anyway okay yeah and uh, one of the other bums was played by del close who mm-hmm. used to be a drug addict and he injured himself, so he he was he took some painkillers, and everyone just gave. They're like, "Oh my gosh, dude, are you okay?" Because he was trying to power through it, so they he got like multiple painkillers given him at the same time, and he was so high. When the, you get to the scene where he tries to stab the blob with a pitchfork, he actually stabbed Larry Hagman in the boot. Oh my goodness! Narrowly missed flesh and bone. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) (laughs) He's tripped out so much. Oh, and the composer was Mort Garson, if you ever want to look him up. He liked weird experimental music. He was considered one of the pioneers of electronic music. They even used some of his music for TV coverage of the moon landing in 1969. Oh, wow. That Mm -hmm. is interesting. Yeah. Like I said, the people who worked on this have pedigree. I'm just like, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah and one last yeah one, this movie one last one i'll share with you because it's relevant to people <sighs> like us mr travis this was supposed to be released in december of 1971 but it got delayed until june 1972 we mentioned that in some markets it was beware of the blob and in some it was son of blob 
And it was a profitable movie, but mostly because it just never left the theater scene, or in particular, the drive-in circuit. Mm. You know, the, the original Blob was pretty popular at the drive-in circuit as well. It's, it stayed right. in the drive-in circuit until 1974. And it was re-released multiple times over the next few years in the 70s and was usually on double bill with a bunch of different movies. And you right. want to know what one of those movies was? What was it? Godzilla versus Megalon. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Can you imagine I, seeing like, this and Godzilla versus Megalon <laughs> at a drive-in in the 70s? <laughs> back to back, this movie would make Megalon seem like a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like congratulations like, son of blob you made godzilla versus megalon that look like kurosawa <laughs> i mean and to be fair i do like godzilla versus megalon i have come around to it i uh, used to hate it when i was younger i have come around to it because of just because of the silliness because of of it being so weird and funky hey. and that is kind of i'm holding of jimmy back he's he was reaching for that button do not mock the jaguar no, no, I'm, I do. I do. I have come around to really enjoy it, but it's still not one of the great, greatest no. Godzilla movies out there. I mean, like, we got to admit, there is, it is a silly movie, yeah, oh, it's but my goodness, silly. compared to this, yeah, yeah, that movie is just brilliant cinema. <laughs> what are you talking about? The flying dropkick is cinema at its greatest. Uh, it's better than anything that was in this one. <laughs> and also, this movie, four weeks before it was released theatrically, it became one of the first films offered on closed-circuit TV at hotels. Oh, wow. It was this and a bunch of really low-budget stuff that I've never heard of, and some of which sounds, well, a little too adult for this show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so okay, there you go. <laughs> this movie put this movie into context. Okay, three years later, Jaws came out. Yep, like this movie came out just five years before Star Wars. There is no excuse for this movie to be this bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is truly one of the weirdest films I have ever covered on the show. And that's coming from someone who this week watched his latest acquisition for the film vault, which is, what is it? Uh, Dragon Lizard Lord Super Monsters from SRS Cinema, a movie that looks like it was literally put together in a weekend by a bunch of teenage boys for $20. I don't know if I would count this as like the absolute worst movie I've ever seen. But it, I, not I the worst. It's, it's, one of, it's the weirdest one I think I've covered for weirdest. this show. And this is coming is, from someone who survived Yeti. <laughs> and that's what I was going to say. Like, like I definitely put this as weirder and worse than Yeti. Like, realistically, as much as I love Yeti, I know it's not a good movie, obviously. <laughs> I know. But, we survived it together. <laughs> this is definitely down there as one of the just absolute bonkers movies I've ever seen because none of it makes any sense. It is, it, like I said at the very beginning, it is borderline incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> this movie. Well, 
half the movie's a bit incomprehensible. The other half is just the first movie with cheaper 70s packaging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the last 30 minutes is just the first movie all over again, and it's honestly the best part of this movie <laughs> and because they're just recreating a better movie. <laughs> yeah. I understand why you know, the original gets to be in the Criterion Collection and Kino Lorber gets the sequel that almost nobody remembers. <laughs> <laughs> just so man 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 so now after surviving this one you have to bring me back on the island for the 1980s remake oh, man. of the blob <laughs> i'm a little scared of that one <laughs> i haven't seen it but i have heard that it is actually pretty good <laughs> it also looks very gross <laughs> It looks very gross. It is. It, I've heard that it's basically an '80s slasher film. But you know what? This felt like an like a slasher film at points. It did kind of, but it just like I don't know. It did, but then it didn't because there's too much comedy going on. Yeah, I know. It, it's. If Freddy Krueger come in and ripped <laughs> all of these teenagers apart, I would have liked it more. <laughs> oh, 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 goodness. <laughs> well, unless you've got anything else to add, uh, I think we can start closing up shop here. What do you say? Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. All right. Well, then, <laughs> I know it's a bonus episode and all, but we still got to do this. It's time for the Patreon shoutouts. Go show Travis Alexander. I, I know that guy. <laughs> I know that guy really well. I think we just talked. <laughs> Danny Davana. Eli Harris. Chris Cook! Damon Noise! Backs from Redeemed Otaku! The Cellcast! Eric Anderson! Ted Williams! Tofu Fiore! Why is that not a movie? I, I, I need that to be a movie with Jackie Chan as a karate chef. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> it's, just, it's asking for it. It's one of the best usernames I've ever yes. seen. Yeah. I know who it really is, but he's forever going to be Tofu Fury on this show. Either Jackie Chan or Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I, I like this. I like it a lot. Yes. Yes. All right. So to let everybody know, the, uh, the next couple of episodes at this point, all of those bonus episodes that were promised are out. You can... Listen to this, and if you haven't already, go and listen to my first annual crossover episode with Elijah Thomas, our mutual friend, over at Kaiju Conversation. We started a series on Ray Harryhausen, and because we're weird, we're starting at the end. So we talked about Clash of the Titans from 1981. So go give that a listen if you haven't already. 
whether it's on my feed or his. It's going to be on both feeds. And then, Kaiju continues. We're jumping ahead. We're going from the 50s all the way to the 2000s with Cloverfield. And my friend Nick Hayden will be joining us for that one because he is a fan of this film when it's kind of become popular to hate on it. <laughs> Oh, oh, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> oh, So you're not one of the people who appreciates it. <laughs> no, no, I, I do not appreciate Cloverfield. <laughs> I do, I appreciate Ten Cloverfield Lane. Oh, I do yes. not appreciate Cloverfield. <laughs> ah, I understand. I understand. And like I said, it's popular to hate on it now. And then Godzilla Redux redo, however you want to say it, gets started back up. With Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. <laughs> nice. The first appearance of King Ghidorah. Quite possibly one of his best appearances, I might add. And I will be having <laughs> Luke Giaconetti and his brother Jason for that one. Luke Giaconetti of Earth Destruction Directive and Jason Giaconetti of the Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie podcast. <laughs> It's a favorite of theirs. I don't know why I thought Luke, Jack, and Eddie were three different people. (laughs) You just just watched Beware the Blob. That's why. Luke, Jack, and Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I think he would appreciate that. (laughs) Oh, Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, I think we've covered everything that we need to right now, other than the all-important shameless self-promotion. What do you got for us, Travis? I am one of the hosts of a little show called Henshin Men, a (laughs) tokusatsu appreciation podcast where we discuss Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and high-kicking adventures. And we're currently going through the first Kamen Rider series, and we're closing in on the final few, well, not few episodes, but the final 20 episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great show, but your (laughs) co-host is a weirdo. I just want to let you know. Yeah, yeah. Kind of looks like a ferret, too. Yeah, he does. Uh. He does. Yeah. I, I think if he had, like, fire powers, he could. He would be a great Shocker Kaijin, I'm just saying. I also host the Kaiju Weekly Podcast with Michael Hamilton, uh, who has also been on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. Uh, where He's we... our other co-host in common. Where we discuss giant monster movies, um, the wide world of giant monster movies, because giant monster movies are not limited to just the basic Godzillas and your Gamras and your blobs. We discuss Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, movies that one might not consider giant monster movies traditionally, (laughs) but... Yeah, Starcraft, Twister. Um, Yes, Jimmy, I know Star Crash is one of your favorite Kaiju Weekly episodes. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, and this the episode that just came out recently was me and our guests, our special guests from the Finding Monster Right podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we discussed Jurassic World Dominion, mm-hmm. the new movie that just came out. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And, yeah, and, and I also am the basically 
boss over at <laughs> the Kaiju, founder <laughs> the founder of kaiju ramen media and kaiju ramen magazine so if anybody yes. wants to know more about that they can check out kaiju ramen media.com yes. and see all the fun things that we're doing with the magazine and the website and all yes. that good stuff quite possibly one of the best things happening in the kaiju fandom at this very moment i still can't get over how much love people have for it. Like just the amount of positivity that has come like at us because of doing the magazine has been just phenomenal. I I just, it blows my mind. Agreed. Agreed. And I've written for you guys multiple times. I am going to continue to write for you. It is, I, I mean it when I say I think it is really one of the best things happening in the fandom right now. And if any of you haven't read this magazine yet, what is wrong with you? Go spend your hard-earned money on some of the best kaiju content you're going to find on the internet right now. Yeah. Do it. Do it now. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we've covered all of our bases, so... I'll give you another quick little tour of the island, and uh, we'll get you back to Louisiana. How about that? I'm not from Louisiana. That's right. I keep forgetting. You're from Mississippi. Mississippi. Oh, my gosh. You're perilously close to Louisiana. I'm sorry. I am very close to Louisiana, but I am in Mississippi. Also, yes, please take me on another tour of the island because I have some words to have with the goo. Oh, no, you're going to go tell it what for? (laughs) Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. This one's for Daisy. (laughs) Justice for Daisy. (laughs) All right, Jimmy, before we come. I didn't bring my cat with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is very good. It's a good thing you didn't bring her. All right, Jimmy, before we really go off the rails, cue the credits. Thank you for listening to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you want to join the discussion and be heard on the show, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault. And on Twitter, where our handle is at TheMonsterIsla1. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and TikTok. Follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy and our many other colorful characters using the links in the show notes. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Serax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack, Battle with the Colossus, and the Opened Way, Battle with the Colossus, by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can also support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas media production. Sayonara! Sayonara!